Welcome to The Last Thing I Saw. I'm your host, Nicholas Rapold. Today from the Cannes Film Festival, we hear about the much-anticipated new film from director Paul Verhoeven, Benedetta, about a young nun whose sexual awakening causes a stir in her convent. My correspondent this time is the critic and programmer Jordan Kronk, whose work is published in many publications, including Cinemascope, Reverse Shot, and Movie Notebook. Jordan also tells us about the vibrant film from Israeli auteur Nadav Lapid, Ahed's Knee, and the latest directorial effort from Sean Penn, Flag Day. And finally, we hear about some highlights from parallel film sections at Cannes. Welcome to The Last Thing I Saw. This is another in the series where I am living vicariously by just quizzing those more fortunate uh, or less fortunate, as, as the case might be, just in terms of all the obstacle course that uh, this year seems to be, just because of the COVID precautions and also the usual can rigmarole. And I'm very pleased to talk this time with someone who I would be talking with if, if I was there right now. Um, and of course, we've talked about past festivals recently, like Rotterdam. And that is uh, the critic and programmer, Jordan Crock. Uh, welcome, Jordan. Thanks, Nick. Thanks for having me back. I, uh, I'm excited, a little tired, but hopefully I can <laughs> offer some insight on what I've seen so far. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right about now in the festival, what is it? A midway point. This is where you kind of need to, yeah, you're, you need to get this second wind to keep going. <laughs> yeah. During halfway through the last movie I was watching, I was like uh, thinking, we're halfway through the festival, right? Like counting the days. <laughs> so I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm ready to keep it going soon. Yeah. And how has it been? I, I'm just curious, since it is kind of a weird, weirdly historic edition, what has it been like in terms of having to deal with all the you know, requirements and also just like, what's it like in a room in a screening with, I guess it's assigned seating to Um Yeah. For some of the screenings, well, most of them have a section you're assigned to. Some actually have seat assignments, but no screening I've really been to. Even the big competition premieres have um, enough people there to really make it really strict as far as like what seat you're in. But um, so it's good and bad as far as uh, getting around good because it's not quite as busy, but bad because if you're not a European Union vaccination, you have to get tested every couple of days and it's a little bit difficult to get around. You have to show QR codes and various forms of uh, proof that you've been tested. So uh, that's a little difficult. The screenings though are kind of nice just because they're a little, uh, you don't have to wait in line because of the ticket system now. So mm. you, you can show up, you know, 10 minutes rather than an hour plus early for, for some films, which is a big change of pace and gives you a little more time to see stuff and relax, I guess, but there's not much time for that normally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's actually kind of interesting that that's an interesting development, not having to wait in line. That also means you probably avoid some sunstroke. <laughs> yeah. It's extremely hot this year. I don't know how it would, uh, how do we manage if we had to stand outside like normal? Cause yeah, this is a, I mean, worst case scenario, you're talking like 15, 20 minutes of waiting right now, as opposed to, you know, at least three times that in a normal, normal year. Oh. Well, I guess, yeah, the reward is that you get to see sort of two years worth of films, which, which <laughs> means I think there are probably a few more highlights even than there might be in a given year. Um, and I'm very eager to hear what you thought about one very anticipated movie, uh, and that's Benedetta, uh, Paul Verhoeven's latest movie. I guess his last was L. Yeah, L was in competition here. And um, yeah, and then 
Black Book, I guess, probably was his major film before that. So it doesn't work as often as he used to, I guess. But yeah, he, I don't know. He's become a very respected elder statesman, I guess. Yeah, this was, I think you said, I, I quote, I think you said you, this was your favorite so far. Oh, yeah, it is my favorite film so far. Um, it seems to be uh, delighting and or, um, I don't know, baffling people. Um, <laughs> but if you've seen a Verhoeven film before, you might kind of get the gist just by the the kind of plot, which is a, a kind of a lesbian romance set in a 17th century convent. It's based on a book, uh, which as far as I can tell, is actually like a, you know, research historical book about homosexuality in the church in that period, which I don't think much, uh, you know, records exist for that. So it's an important book, I think. But the the, the film is a little bit more liberal, I think, with probably what it, uh, or how it applies these uh, historical uh, details. Um, mm. But it, it stars um, Virginia Efira. She arrives at the at the convent when she's like eight years old, I think, and then it kind of follows her into her adulthood. And when uh, kind of flash forwards forwards to when she's an adult, she uh, falls in with kind of a younger peasant girl who comes to also live at the convent, and they start like a a secret romance. And they're both a little hesitant about uh, what they're doing, what they can do, and so it's a secret uh, that slowly gets out and causes kind of hysteria amongst the nuns. <laughs> And uh, Charlotte Rampling plays the kind of a uh, head uh, head nun. I don't know what what did you call that, but she uh, mother superior. Yeah, mother superior. Yeah, so she <laughs> she's very uh, obviously offended by what's going on. But the whole it's a, it's a very campy, over the top movie in a lot of ways. But the the idea is, I guess, that like the these two women are acting out their urges while everyone else in the convent is kind of uh keeping these desires secret even though they have the exact same uh desires and we see those also slip out from time to time which is a uh, pretty funny and um yeah it's just a very uh provocative and um just yeah funny and ridiculous kind of movie in a lot of ways but i think actually has some interesting things to say about religion and sexuality in the church and things like that and how these things are kept under wraps and how they can kind of stew various uh under dissension and and evil and violence amongst amongst these these groups um mm. but yeah it, it kind of falls in line more with uh i don't know maybe the kind of mid-90s uh verhoven stuff where it's a little uh a little over the top meant to be played uh satire mm. and some of the violence is very uh very over the top and yeah, it's a, it's it's a great movie, I think. And he, um, I don't know, ever since he started making movies in in France and and back in in Europe, the, his movies have become, I don't know, a little uh, more intelligent in some ways, as far as like I think the filmmaking uh, and as it relates to the the subject matter. Which you know, before there's movies like Showgirls and some of the sci-fi movies he made, but he's making kind of like or applying similar ideas to more serious subjects, obviously with L with the kind of the rape narrative of that and black book, of course, with the war stuff. So yeah, he's uh, still going at 82 and still causing people to kind of uh, get up in arms about this stuff. Though the screening I was at, it was a round of applause. So <laughs> the provocateur is, is, is welcomed with open, open arms. <laughs> I, I can't, I saw someone, or I don't know where I saw it, but someone invoked, uh, you know, the Ken Russell, the devils for a kind of reference point of just very impassioned, you know, movie uh, that that's over the top. But I imagine, obviously, this being Verhoeven, that it's kind of a different brand of frenzy. 
Yeah. Yeah. The th- actually, the three movies it reminded me of are like the, um, the Paul Morrissey films that he made with Andy Warhol, like uh, Blood for Dracula and oh, Flesh wow. for Frankenstein. And then Brisson's Lancelot du Lac and uh, John Ford's Seven Women. So if you can imagine like a cross oh. between all those, uh, I feel like there's bits and pieces of those. Obviously, with Ford just kind of being like a late film about a group of women who are kind of going hysterical. But yeah, I think it can stand with those kind of late late films by some of those filmmakers. Um, yeah, because yeah. yeah, when you're watching it, it it's clearly a satire and clearly a, just ridiculous in a lot of ways. But also, obviously, made by someone who knows what they're doing. But yeah, I, I imagine it's going to kind of baffle some people, or just what they should be taking seriously and what they shouldn't be. I guess. Right. I mean, also, if anyone, I guess, if anyone is expecting something that's just kind of more a fantasy imagination of, of this scenario I mean it doesn't sound like at least based upon the movies you're, you're citing that it's that it's like like that entirely no I mean it, it, it kind of gets serious at times but then he kind of shakes you loose of that real quick with like a couple absurd moment or something I mean it mm. revolves around them kind of like a one one plot point is them carving a Virgin Mary statue into a dildo and using it on each other and them kind of hiding it from the mother superior and <laughs> um just things like that um things like that i don't know yeah. what's like that, but <laughs> what other thing is like that <laughs> well i don't want to give too much away you know yeah. but there is actually there is a funny scene right at the beginning when she's a young girl um i don't know who plays her as a child but um mm-hmm. when she goes in to like the convent she's uh kind of worshiping at a full-size mary statue and it uh collapses on her and like the statue's breast falls like right in front of her face and she starts sucking on it and gets caught doing that. So that kind of sets the tone for like the absurdity of where the story is going to go. But yeah, it's uh, I will one thing that's kind of odd, uh, not odd. It's kind of par for the course nowadays, but like Verhoeven used to be like a great uh, a master of kind of a uh, practical effects and animatronics, especially with like in total recall. Um, oh, that yeah. era. And now, I mean, he's using CGI, which I mean, the CGI is not very good and it's kind of funny. Like there's snakes and fire and stuff like that, which kind of plays into the, absurdity of it all but kind of makes me wish that him and other filmmakers would go back to some of the practical stuff that Mm. they used to be able to do because that stuff looks better even though it's you know kind of uh dated and stuff like that but it sometimes looks better than a lot of the cgi nowadays yeah yeah i guess that he had available to him when he was working in hollywood basically the best that there was because he's such a hot commodity and, and and now yeah maybe with cgi yeah standards everywhere seem to be a little bit uh, a little bit worse. Um, right. And, and, and how about Virginie Efira? Uh, I was very impressed by her in Sybil. Yes. Uh, which I guess was the last, at the last edition of Cannes, um, because she just, just one of those performances where she just throws herself into the role just absolutely entirely. Yeah, I really like her and, and in Sybil, or in the movie Sybil as well. But she uh, she's really, really good here. I, I think the movie was actually made uh, a number of years ago because it was delayed I mean, obviously it didn't premiere last year, but even the year prior, it was supposed to premiere, I think. So she made this a few years ago before she was a little more a little more known. Oh. But yeah, it's a total go for broke performance. Her and the other the other nun she has the relationship with. I don't know her name in real life, but the character is Bartholomeo, I think. They're both great and have to obviously do a lot of uh, sexual things in the film. And it's very uh, kind of crazy at times, but... Uh, yeah, it's believable without, I mean, it's it's ridiculous, but also I think believable in the kind of passion, emotion. Verhoeven never has any compunctions no. about 
just um, following people's desires, wherever it takes them, even in, in terms of how it's reflected in, in, in the filmmaking, you know, it's just, there's always a kind of flash to it that he's not afraid to have. And, and just, you know, one more thing about it is Verhoeven, I guess, notoriously was studying the history of Jesus Christ for a while. Right. Um, I guess. And I don't, I don't know if that's at all relevant to this movie. I mean, it's just kind of funny that the movie he ends up making isn't, you know, a, a, a long awaited, you know, story about the gospel or something that, uh, but this, <laughs> this is the religious right. movie. Yeah. I mean, it obviously deals with a lot of that stuff. Uh, she, uh, the Virginia Fira character is uh, trying to prove that uh, Jesus can like speak through her. And she's also uh, claiming that God speaks through her. So she's like, there's moments where she's speaking in tongues and uh, performing miracles and things like that. Strange things are happening. And yeah, so you kind of are, it's kind of a mystery the whole way through if she's actually like possessed or crazy or if God is really uh, speaking through her. So hmm. there is that dimension too. It's not just uh, lesbian sex for two hours. Right, right. I guess that's uh, that's a uh, Benedetta. I just want to spend a little more time on that since that's such a big title, and I guess more or less, you know, kicked off the the weekend, which is often uh, when they play big movies there. Right. Um, but if we can uh, jump back just a little uh, to a movie that I think was on opening day or or maybe the day after, and so effectively was like sharing the limelight with with Annette almost. And by all accounts, seems to have uh, held its own. And that's Ahed's Knee uh, from Not of Lapid. Uh, I'll say right here, one of my absolute favorite filmmakers. What did you think of? Uh, what did you think of his latest movie? Well, I'll start by saying too that he's one of my favorite filmmakers. Mm. His first three films, I think, are all great. Um, yeah. Obviously, the most recent synonyms won the top prize in Berlin. This film, I'm of two minds on uh, it's definitely worth seeing and it's a very provocative and interesting movie but it on, on a glance it didn't hit me like his other films do even though this is a very like aggressive and uh in your face movie in a lot of ways it it kind of follows a film director who kind of decamps to the desert in israel to well to screen a film but he's also simultaneously casting a uh either a movie or an installation of uh, that was going to be based on this real life incident where a, I think a Palestinian woman was shot in the knee uh, by an Israeli soldier. Uh, so the movie starts with uh, kind of auditions um, and it's very aggressively filmed. It's almost like a music video at the beginning. And so you kind of are thrown into this uh, whirlwind with this director who immediately gets on a plane and goes to the desert. Um, then when he's out there, the movie kind of calms down a little bit and he meets up with a a woman from the Ministry of Culture in Israel, who's like his liaison out there, basically. Uh, she's out there to get him essentially to sign this paper, which says he will not say certain things about Israel when he uh, presents his film out there. But there's also kind of this underlying sexual tension between the two of them, it seems like, uh, that actually pleasingly doesn't it doesn't go, go far. Uh, mm. But that's kind of a thing that's kind of played in, through the movie. Um, but it's interesting because this character... Um, I think he's only known as the letter Y in the movie. Uh, this filmmaker, he he's a very, uh, I guess, unlikable character <laughs> in a lot of ways. He's very conceited and has a high opinion of himself and is uh, very opinionated about Israel. And he's, he makes very, well, what we from what we gather, very political films. But the, the film is shot in this, like, extremely, I mean, like Lapid's other films, it's very, like, uh, 
muscular, I guess is some a word that I've used and other people use to, to mm. describe his style. Very like uh, camera moves a lot, things like that. It, it kind of, in this film, I felt like it, uh, it, it's clearly trying to anger you, or not anger you, but like uh, irritate or provoke in some way. Because you're trying to get into the mind of this character who's kind of uh, just angry at the world. It kind of had a mid to late 90s Oliver Stone feel to me, like with the aggressiveness of the whole enterprise. But um, hmm. as it moves along, it kind of uh, doesn't take place over very long. He kind of screens the film. And then during during the film, him and the, the liaison girl kind of uh, go out into the desert and have a drawn out argument about uh, politics in Israel and the Ministry of Culture. And there's a very long scene where he is just kind of screaming about how censorship and things are working and what he's allowed to do. So yeah, it's very, uh, it's kind of a tough sit in a lot of ways, which I think his other films, while they're, I think, aggressive in some ways are, and obviously political, all of them, but they, I don't know, the politics in those films seemed a little more like folded into the characters and the circumstances of their, of the narrative more so than like they weren't voicing the the political uh, agenda of the, mm-hmm. of the characters or the film. Um, but this one is very just outspoken and exp- the, the character is like spouting everything the movie's about. It's not, it's not subtle at all. And I don't think it's obviously meant to be, but yeah, it's a kind of a weird, difficult object, I think. And one that's definitely worth talking about and seeing. Um, he is, like you said, I think one of the more interesting filmmakers and I don't really know other than it's kind of a, it reminded me, <laughs> it's like your one, uh, super outspoken political friend who like has actually good politics, but he's so like aggressive and outspoken about it that you're just kind of like, chill, man. We know you're, you're righteous. We, we get it. So, <laughs> so that's kind of what the character reminded me of. And by the end, you're just kind of like, probably don't want to be around him much longer, but uh, you know, it, it, it's definitely got uh, something to say about creativity and artistry and what's allowed uh, in Israel at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it doesn't sound like a character we're necessarily supposed to uh, identify with, even if we agree with some of it. And I think that's that's part of the what's great about his movies is that he's not letting you sit in a comfortable place. And like the kindergarten teacher is like the greatest like anti you know smart kid movie just <laughs> right <laughs> um, in, in every way how it how it plays out. Um, yeah. But I mean, so it's this character is like maybe a reflection of some things he believes, but also just kind of you know turning it up to eleven or something. Right. Yeah. No, I was, in, I was thinking about that too. Cause like in synonyms, it's very clear. And he said it like the, the main character is kind of him mm-hmm. uh, back, back when he left the military and, and moved to France for a while. Whereas this film I'm watching, I'm like, are we supposed to think this is Lapide? Which I don't, I didn't really get that impression while watching it, but some other people have kind of uh, thrown that idea out there, which, but yeah, I mean, he might definitely believe uh, what, what the character saying, but uh, he, from what I know of him and have seen, he's definitely not in this register and this kind of a uh, overbearing uh, and just super uh, conceited and high, highly opinionated uh, mm-hmm. filmmaker. But yeah, I think it's going to be like a, it might be a movie kind of more interesting to talk about than, than sit down and like rewatch a couple of times. You got to, I think you get the idea very quickly watching it. Well, I'm also glad to hear that he's continued kind of pushing film language, uh, yeah. you know, cause I, I, I always think that, when he looks at a shot, he's looking at a, a different way to do it, not just for the sake of being different, but he like genuinely wants to figure out what's a better way we could, we could do this. What's yeah. a better way to move into this, to this scene. I'm, I'm intrigued by this mid nineties, uh, <laughs> natural born killers comparison. I don't know. Yeah. It's just like, uh, 
yeah, that area of Oliver era of Oliver Stone like came to mind while I was watching it. Maybe it's like the desert stuff. Uh, what movie was that where he like oh, uh, U-turn, U-turn or yeah, U-turn, or, yeah, um, which we're going to talk about Champagne in a little bit, I think. But uh, it reminded yeah, me yeah. of it reminded me of that while I was watching it, just like these spinning camera movements and uh, yeah, just a very assaultive kind of visual experience, which can be uh, visceral in its own way, but uh, maybe has a limit that he's pushing against. Hmm. Interesting. All right. So that's Ahed's knee, not a flophead's new film. And I'm sure we'll be seeing that. And another movie uh, in the first week from a director, I've, I've sort of gone back and forth on just in terms of how his movies grip me, but sometimes feel a little astringent. I don't know, somehow. Anyway, I'm talking about uh, Joaquin Trier, whose new movie is The Worst Person in the World. So at least he gets a prize for uh, <laughs> one of the best titles, I think. Yeah. What did you What did you make of it? Well, I'm with you on kind of going back and forth. And I had zero, like I was not really looking forward to this movie uh, all that much because his last couple didn't do much for me. Uh, Oslo, August 31st from like 10 years ago was like not really, really good and yeah. very promising. And he made another decent movie after that. But then he made like an American film that was in Cannes called Louder Than Bombs, which I think kind of disappointed a lot of people. And then uh, he made a movie a couple years ago that no one remembers, I think called Delma, which was awful. Um, so I had like no uh, expectations and was kind of dreading it. The title and the, the, the length were kind of had me, uh, <laughs> had me hesitant. But I will say that this is maybe his best movie very uh very different i guess uh, in some ways it's a love story a romance uh between uh well a girl and two different guys uh told over the course of a number of years the worst person in the world it turns out is not the girl who you follow most of the film but one of the one of the guys who identifies as that it's basically it's told in 12 chapters with also a pro- prologue and epilogue so it's kind of like got a novelistic conceit to it and there's like a voiceover so it has like these kind of like pretentious things going on at the beginning but it, it's very much just a movie about a woman growing up and maturing and figuring out what she wants to do in life we when we meet her she doesn't uh, she's like kind of going between a number of different career options and she ends up meeting like a comic book artist who she has like a fling with, but then they end up staying together for, I think, a long, a long while. And then when the story kind of catches up, we, we find her, uh, she, she meets a guy at a party randomly and they, and it's a really, really great scene, but they did kind of dance around the idea of cheating on their respective partners. And yeah, it eventually transitions to the original couple breaking up and this girl going with this other guy for the majority of the film. But yeah, it's a, uh, Really, I don't know, just very like insightful and poignant uh, look at like young people. I don't, they're in their late 20s, early 30s. The one of the guys is in his early 40s, the main or the first uh, first guy, which I think is a, a point of contention with their relationship. He's a little bit older than her. But yeah, the performances by uh, I don't know who they are. This uh, the girl's name, I think, is Renata Rensiv, which I don't know if she's done anything, but she's like really, really great. And yeah, there's um. It reminded me the people I was talking to after the screening. I I mentioned the, the movie uh, Five Hundred Days of Summer, which might not be a great comparison point for a lot of people, but it <laughs> it does like all these strange like narrative things where it's like uh, there's like an animated sequence and there's like uh, you know a scene where they're doing drugs and like there's all these kind of crazy visual effects going on and some of it works, some of it doesn't, but it's like trying to do a lot of different things in each section of the film. Other people were comparing it to uh, Take This Waltz, which I haven't seen, but uh, 
kind of a love story narrative as well. But yeah, it the way it uh, is trying things actually reminded me of a movie we talked about, I think last time I was on here, uh, What Do We See When We Look at the Sky? Just trying oh, wow. to like do all, it's not like that movie at all, but like the way it's trying to uh, do things with the narrative and just like throwing things at the wall. Uh, it's not as successful probably overall as that movie, but like when it's when it's good, it's like really, really good. There's a scene uh, where the girl is going to break up with the original boyfriend and wants to see the other guy. And somehow, like, she just stops time and everyone in the world stops moving where they are in, in place. And she runs to the guy, like, across across Oslo. And mm. it's a really beautiful scene where she's just kind of running through the streets and everyone's just kind of frozen in place. So, like, stuff like that works really well. Other stuff isn't doesn't quite land all the time. But, like, it turns into kind of a story where one of the characters gets sick and it gets really, really sad. And, uh, yeah, you just kind of live with these, these three characters as they kind of grow older over a period of years. And mm. by the end, it becomes really uh, devastating in a lot of ways. And the characters aren't really like bad people or the worst people. They're just kind of, I think, normal people who made mistakes and are going through changes. And yeah, it's mm. just one of those movies. I think, yeah, people, if they discover it, it could become like an important movie for like a younger, younger generation, I guess. It just has a lot of things to say about, I think that age yeah. uh, around being, being 30 or so. Yeah. That sounds very, very promising. Uh, it, and it makes me think that, um, oh, well, first of all, I, I, I'm, I'm not one of the people who malign uh, 500 Days of Summer. I, <laughs> I actually liked it. I don't know if it came at the right time. Um, no, I have time for that movie too, but it, the, that even has an animated sequence in it like this movie oh, does. Yeah, yeah so right. it reminded me of that. I'm like, this movie is just trying to do all this weird storytelling things, which is actually very refreshing sometimes, especially at a film festival. Yeah, I mean, it makes me think, uh, that one thing I've liked about his movies, or I feel sometimes his movies are the strongest when they're dealing with disappointment yeah, uh, or even depression. Mm-hmm. Um, and when he's kind of really goes right into that, some of his, strong, obviously I guess his first movie is kind of all about that basically. Right. Uh, is it reprise or reprise? I don't know. So, and, and even, and later too, it can get even very dark. So yeah, this is a exciting, exciting news uh, about the latest. Yeah, definitely. I think a, like a real return to form, which is very pleasing and unexpected. Another movie that came to mind, obviously very different, but just when you were saying that this felt like something that, you know, a younger generation would uh, connect with, or is also like a portrait a bit of, of relating mm-hmm. um, the girl and the spider for some reason. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, obviously that has all sorts of other stuff going on and it's, it, it's like clockwork brain, but um, right. Uh, I love that movie. Um, but just the sense, I, uh, that movie, I also got a sense that it was getting something about how people relate. Right. The, uh, it's really well written. Like the, the, he's works with the mm. same co-writer. I think his name is Eskiel Vogt or something like that. He, that guy actually has a film in Uncertain Regard this year. Um, yes. But, um, which is uh, okay for what it is, but uh, that's not, I guess, the point. <laughs> he, yeah. uh, I guess their, their writing team is very, uh, I don't know, fruitful this time out. I don't know the way they uh, handle the dialogue, especially in the scene I was mentioning with why the girl kind of crashes a party that she obviously she's not invited to, obviously. And she goes in and just tries to like meet someone or be another person for a night and just has this incredible, like it's a, it's the longest chapter in the film, I think. And it's just her and her future boyfriend, just not cheating on each other, but talking around it for, I don't know, it's probably like a 20 minute scene and it's very funny and really, yeah, just extremely well written. Like I haven't seen a, a scene like that insightful or just kind of a yeah just well executed as that just and it goes with the performances which i think are all just really wonderful great yeah no i actually also 
saw the Eskil Votes directorial debut, um, which I mentioned, or, or just pick up again since you mentioned it, because it was kind of fascinating watching that and thinking they kind of have to work together based on that. <laughs> like something happens, like a chemical reaction happens when they're together because alone, I, I, don't, I don't want to knock that movie because it's, it's kind of bold in what it's trying mm-hmm. to do. But uh, it just seemed like, yeah, it's good that they found each other. <laughs> yeah, no, same thing with his movie here now. It's it's just surprising that he it's like a thriller, or like a horror movie sort of. Uh, it's just not yeah. like the movies he makes with Trier at all, which, I mean, obviously welcome yeah. to do what he wants. But they seem to do their best work when they're together, at least so far. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so that's good news about a new Joaquin Trier movie, The Worst Person in the World. And I, I can imagine we'll be seeing more of that movie uh, relatively soon. Um, that's based on nothing, by the way. I did not just <laughs> drop some secret news or anything. Um, but I, I wanted to uh, hit on one more movie um, because I, I don't want anyone to get the impression that the the side of can that is, you know, <laughs> splashed across, like, I don't know, entertainment news um, is, is something that I, I totally overlook because I do have a morbid curiosity about it. <laughs> um, and I guess a good example of that would be the return of Sean Penn to yep. can with flag day so what happened <laughs> <laughs> well let me start by saying uh one of my biggest regrets in 10 years coming to can is not seeing the last face when it premiered here i've yet to see the last face and i refused to watch it because i didn't watch it there and i have no desire to see it but <laughs> that screening is like legendary and i wish i was there to experience the awfulness with everyone else uh so this movie obviously everyone is anticipating flag day too because this is his follow-up to that movie and you know that's probably one of the biggest uh flops and at least since i've been coming to can sure. so flag day uh well like i said i haven't seen last face but it doesn't seem as bad it's not uh definitely not good but it's a very strange and unsuccessful probably uh, adaptation of a book by a woman named Jennifer Vogel written about her dad, who was like a con man, like a really fly by night, not successful con man uh, for a few decades uh, from the sixties through, I think the nineties or so. Hmm. And it stars Sean Penn's daughter, uh, her name Dylan. I think this is her, her first role. That might be the most interesting part of the movie. Uh, kind of watching her act for the first time. But yeah, it, it, so it's based on this book and it, it follows, it's about a daughter and her dad. Sean Penn plays the, the crook, uh, his name's John Vogel. And it starts when she's a child and he's a bad father because he's, I think at that time into like low level crime stuff, you don't really see much. He's kind of talking to gangsters on the side and you can tell he's in over his head a little bit, but not too bad. His mom at the beginning seems like the worst of the two influences. She's an alcoholic and abusive in a lot of ways. So she doesn't like her. So she wants to be with her dad. And then, so they're they're kind of going back and forth with her. But as he kind of gets more into crime, he also abandons her and she has nowhere to go eventually. She grows up, obviously, and she's a teenager. She has nowhere to go. Uh, is homeless for a while. The movie starts to resemble like Into the Wild a little bit, the other Sean Penn movie. Huh. But this is just kind of like told in a montage over like a few minutes. And then she's kind of back to having a, a job again. And she starts to get into journalism, which obviously she ended up pursuing because she wrote, uh, wrote this book and has written other things, I guess. But um, yeah, it's just this strange like kind of biographical type film about this guy who is not a good at anything. He's not even a good criminal. He went to jail a number of times. He's like a counter, he ended up uh, counterfeiting like $20 million or something at the end of his life. Um, 
Oh, wow. <laughs> but it's told, you know, so he like, at the beginning, he's like Rob's bank. So he's always trying to get money in, in some form. But yeah, the, the movie's kind of made in a strange, like hybrid of like Malick. I don't know if he was, Sean Penn was uh, influenced by his time with Malick, but the beginning is kind of shot in that style with voiceover by his daughter. But then it also folds in kind of like that road trip uh uh, kind of Americana aesthetic that he did in Into the Wild. There's even Eddie Better songs in this film as well. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so it's like this weird like uh, combination of a lot of different things. Um, but like Sean Penn is like over the top. Like I don't know what's going on with his performance. Um, it's hilarious. It got a lot of laughs in the in the theater. I must say the joys of self directing. <laughs> yeah, I didn't mention that he's a Chopin like uh, aficionado. So he loves classical music. This like criminal. So there's all these weird like sequences where he's like listening to classical music and uh, yelling about his Chopin records. Um, <laughs> so there's all that weird stuff, but you know, it ends up mostly focusing on the daughter and how she's getting by, which is not very well, but then, you know, by the end it's basically about if she wants to kind of accept him and believe the lies that he's been telling for, for many years. Mm. But yeah, it's, it's definitely like his career. Sean Penn is very, interesting to me i don't like i didn't see the last film but like he's making these strange like uh movies in exile sort of like they're not i think they're they're not made in the system i don't know who they're funded by all the production companies and producers and stuff are like people i have no idea i think the money's coming from you know overseas and things like that so he's making movies like that are very personal clearly and mean a lot to him but are just these like i don't know weird mixtures of different things that don't fit together at all um mm. Yeah, and it's it's obviously got the this politics in there, um, but his movie, yeah, it sort of tries to be this portrait of like what America does to certain people of less means, I guess, and then also how it kind of also abandon people like the daughter character who kind of just falls between the cracks and mm. uh, you know can't uh, can't make it for a long period of time. It's interesting to me that like the French sort of uh, or at least can uh, kind of uh, adopted him as uh, someone to support yeah i can yeah. see someone like writing some really interesting piece and trying to reclaim these films in like 10 or 20 years and <clears throat> i'd be really interested to read that i don't know if i would go with it but like <laughs> there's something like weirdly compelling about this movie even though i don't think it works like at all there's always something that's sort of compelling about someone yeah who is just forgotten about the rules or doesn't care about the rules and is just seems to no. there's no one telling him no yeah and that, that can be disastrous just as often as not but i guess maybe that's also true of a, like a number of actor directed films that they're they kind of they're open to different different textures and i don't know different little um tangents in a way yeah and there's all these like weird small cameos that are clearly just his friends doing work for him like josh brolin's in a scene and uh <laughs> regina king and you know there's just random people in it at times um so yeah, it's just a, it's a strange, strange movie that like I was actually like interested while I was watching it just to like figure out what it was trying to say and what it's trying to do. The movie that actually came to mind, and this is not a good, great comparison because the movies are one's great and this is not, but the Dennis Hopper movie, Out of the Blue. Oh yeah, and there's this kind of strange like dynamic with the with the father and daughter. Um, that movie is, you know, obviously great, but uh, yeah, this had a. I don't know, just, just maybe the fact that Sean Penn directed and he's starring in it and there's his daughters in it. But like it felt to me like this is kind of what he was trying to go for. And I don't think it necessarily works, but it's sort of a compelling failure. 
that's interesting. I haven't thought about out of the blue in a while. All right. Well, that's lag day, and hopefully it won't disappear in the memory hole uh, <laughs> like the last phase. I did want to just give a chance uh, if there's any any film like Off the Beaten Path that you wanted to single out. I know it's often also just hard to get to them in the kind yeah. of rush of the first few days, but I don't know if anything came to mind. The ones that stand out to me from the parallel sections are uh, there's a Russian film in Mr. Tender Regard called Unclenching the Fists, which is a second feature by a female director who has worked with Kadimir Balagov, the beanpole and closeness director. Oh, wow. I didn't realize that. Yeah, I guess he wrote her first film, which I have not seen and which I will now see. But uh, Unclenching the Fists is very much like closeness, I thought. It, very, it reminded me of that movie a lot. Yes, me too. But I like this movie a lot. It's a very difficult movie. It, it's kind of hard to explain in a little snippet, but suffice to say, I think it's a strong and like super confident sophomore feature by a female, young female filmmaker. And another one that I liked, which is also extremely well-directed, it was also an entertainer regard. It's called uh, Great Freedom. It's a French film set in uh, a prison in the 70s, I believe. Stars Franz Rogowski, the guy from Transit. Mm. who's like wonderful and he was also in a uh, undina the other pet soul film oh yeah but yeah he he plays a uh prison inmate who uh is gay and he's trying to like navigate his way through uh surviving in jail by uh being one of the few like openly homosexual guys in the prison so he's uh doing things to get by uh let's say and uh but it's a super compelling uh kind of portrait of this of this character in this situation which obviously there's a ton of prison films uh that people can name in recent years, like startup and stuff, which are like pretty brutal. But this movie is like pretty tender and like soft spoken and very like intimate with this guy in a relationship with the other prisoners. There's obviously, you know, some violence and things like that, but I think overall it's like, I don't know, trying to do something a little bit different with a kind mm. of uh, familiar prison film formula. Yeah. And yeah, unclenching the fists. It's funny you mentioned the closeness because that's what I thought of, and I, I didn't realize that they had worked together because um, it, it has the same kind of, I don't know, kind of gnarly energy, to, yeah. um, gnarly kind of family energy to it where you, you can't really believe the places it's, it's getting to with this kind of young woman at the center of it dealing with her father and brothers, which, yeah, as you said, no way I'm going to be able to unpack that. <laughs> yeah, it's a, pretty, it's a pretty uncomfortable film in a lot of ways, but... Yeah, I think I don't know. Just told it a in a way that like pulls no punches, but is also super just like confident in what it's doing because it's not very explicit in what it's telling you the characters are doing, or and it doesn't show anything mm -hmm. like that either. So it's very just like I don't know, well done in that way that it suggests a lot more than it's showing, but you you get the idea and it's pretty uh, can be un unnerving, but also uh, I don't know, just impressive from a filmmaking standpoint. Yeah, dovetailing well with with the character who's groping working up her way to ex expressing herself and figuring out um so yeah it's, it's all right kind of comes together um that's unclenching the fists and then great freedom you're talking about and i i think that's that's a that's a full plate yes it is <laughs> we just served and we got plenty more to come so yeah yeah plenty more what are you what are you most looking forward to well i think uh most people I know and talk to are excited about, I think it's this coming Thursday, the Apichapong, the Hong Sang Soo, and the Bruno Dumont all premiere the same afternoon. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> and actually, you cannot see all, all three the same day because of the way the schedule works. So people are going to be showing their allegiances to who they're choosing, what two they're going to see out of the three. <laughs> so 
that's pretty cruel. Pretty cruel of Cam to. Uh... <laughs> it is. It's pretty. Uh, when I looked at that schedule, I'm like, there's got to be a way to see all three, but there, there is not. So I'm gonna have to wait on one. There's no like makeup the next day or no. There, I mean, you, you can see all three. You just can't see them all. That's the like back to back to back. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> Memoria is pretty long, and so is Dumont. So they're they're overlap right. with the with the short Hong film. Right. Um, and yeah, what just so you know, we know what to look out for. Uh, in terms of your right, next writing, um, where, where will you be writing about Can for? Um, there will be some things for Reverse Shot and Mubi and maybe some other places. Um, but yeah, those are the main ones uh, I'm doing stuff for as we speak, pretty much. So. Oh, great. Uh, so we'll look out for those. Um, and yeah, well, Jordan, thank you so much for taking, taking a moment amidst the whole craziness uh, talk. Um, and yeah, have a great uh, rest of the festival. I will. I have a date with Nanny Moretti now, so I'll have to leave you. But <laughs> Okay. All right. Off you <laughs> go right. then. All right. Ciao. You've been listening to The Last Thing I Saw with your host, Nicholas Rapold. If you like what you heard, please consider signing up at rapold.substack.com. Special thanks to the Minarets for the opening music from their song, Montserrat. Thank you for listening.